This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Houston, we have a podcast. You're listening to the Premier Rockets podcast. It's H-Town Hoops, hosted by Brandon Scott and Adam Spolane. It is the H-Town Hoops podcast. I am Brandon Scott, joined as always with Adam Spillane, or joined by Adam Spillane of SportsRadio610.com. We uh, shout out to... Austin Mendez on the other side, handling this bad boy, producing the thing for us. Um, and look, Adam, it has been about a week since the last time we talked. Uh, the The Rockets slide continues. They have lost 12 of their last 13. I guess from the last time we talked, it's just the Jazz game where they allow Laurie Markin to have a career game, the 49 points that he had against them last Thursday. And we – we might have talked since the Pelicans lost, and if not, of course, there's that one. And, and of course, the most recent one where, where they're winning by 20 points against the Minnesota Timberwolves and uh, and are not able to, to hold on because of a, a really bad shooting second half. And, and that's just where I want to lead off with this podcast, with this episode, Adam, is just to talk about these continued shooting struggles, like the thing that makes it really difficult to watch and follow this team on a night in and night basis or night in and night out basis is watching them shoot the ball, man. They are just, they are just bad at it. It went like they're either making poor decisions and not getting good shots. And even when they are getting good shots, you're seeing sequences there where they're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the league. And it creates extra opportunities for them to shoot the ball. And you see, they just still ain't good at it, man. Like what, what to make of the the, the shooting slump? They're the worst shooting t- team in the league, forty four point three percent, or at least they were as of yesterday. I mean, I know those numbers are fluid, but they're pretty bad. I mean, what what to make of this sort of being the uh, the state of affairs night in and night out? No, it's it's tough because you go back to Sunday's game against Minnesota, and they had a lot of success going inside to Alperin Shingun. And he scored, what, 18 points, I think, in the first half. He was 8 of 8 from the field, I believe. And then he didn't score any in the second half. And a lot of that was because Minnesota just decided, you know, we already have Rudy Gobert, but we're going to pack the paint anyways. And we're going to dare these guys to shoot. And so that's what they did. The Rockets shot, and then they just missed them. The Rockets uh, against Minnesota on Sunday, they were 10 of 32 on three pointers where there was not a defender within four feet of the shooter. I mean, that's 10 of 32. You're making less than a third of those shots. You don't have a chance. And so it was interesting just hearing from Steven Silas yesterday, you know, he, he's talking about how he went back, he watched the film Sunday night after the game. And as he's watching it, he's frustrated as he's just watching them miss open shot after open shot, after open shot, after open shot. And then when they had their film session yesterday on Monday, uh, he was encouraged because they were able to create those shots and get those shots. It's just a matter of at some point, 
someone's got to make those shots. And you you talked about like the field goal shooting for the year, and they are worse in the league. But here, what I think is just what really hurts them more uh, on on three pointers where there is not a defender within four feet, they are shooting thirty three percent for the year. 33% when there is not a defender within a foot, that's 27th in the league. And you just have no chance to win games when you're shooting the ball that poorly. I mean, it, it's just, it's nearly impossible to make that work. And until that gets cleaned up and until that improves, there's nothing you can really do because teams are just going to pack the paint against you again. And they're going to dare you to shoot just like Minnesota did. And the big issue that they're having the guys who take the most shots, Kevin Porter Jr. has been okay. I don't know what his actual three-point percentage is right now, but he was okay Sunday. I think he started out 5-9, and nine and he might have missed a couple late in the game, but he shot the ball well. The problem is that the, the next highest-volume three-point shooters, Jalen Green and Jabari Smith, have been lousy from deep. You have no chance to win games if you're going to shoot the ball that poorly, and that's when, been one area of the draft where they have – kind of ignored in a sense i know jabari smith jr is a good shooter and that's why he was drafted but you look at the other guys that they have drafted in the first round they're not known as shooters and i do think that's hurt them yeah adam we mentioned the shooting percentage and and you talked about the kind of the more intricate stat there of of what they're doing when you know someone is like what is considered a contested shot or or an open shot basically you know four feet to six or beyond six feet and all of that like yeah so that that illustrates how they're missing basically wide open shots right the stat that, that so the you, shots you want yeah the shots that you want how about the shots not just the shots that you want but the shots that you want to set yourself up for which is the catch and shoot three so they're they're a league worst 44.3 uh, percent of their shots period overall but on catch and shoot threes, they're 34%. And I'm not exactly sure where that rate ranks in the league, but that's obviously not a good clip. And, and I think it also uh, kind of speaks to this issue of the, the the Kevin Porter Jr. point of him actually being probably, and, and, and I don't think this is where you want to be, where Kevin Porter Jr. is one of your higher percentage shooting guys, but he's their best catch and shoot guy. But the problem with that is he's the point guard. He's the guy. And, and and, and God forbid he, he don't do point guard stuff, right? Because then that's a whole nother uh, discussion and, and rabbit hole to go into. But since he's the guy that's got the ball in his hand all the time, and he's the guy that's supposed to be setting guys up, he obviously can't pass the ball to himself and set him up, set his own self up with a catch and shoot, uh, catch and, uh, catch and shoot three, right? So if somebody else, like you said, has got to be able to do that, and it's supposed to be guys like Jalen Green and Jabari Smith Jr., you're – you know, obviously your number two overall pick and your number three overall pick of the last couple of years, your foundational pieces. And and I don't know, man, it, it would just feel a lot better if if the if the shooting in the moment and, and, and this is just a moment. Let's be clear, man. We're recording this podcast today, you know, tonight at this moment. And this is probably just a fleeting moment in time. But it's not going to be something that I forget when everything's kind of kind of kind of pass here and they're developed you'll always sort of remember how ugly it was when they were shooting this bad well you mentioned catch and shoot they are 34 percent on the year on catch and shoots and that's 28th best in the league 
So only two teams in the league are worse on catch and shoot shots than the Rockets are. And that's really hard to be successful that way. And again, Jabari Smith Jr. was drafted to essentially be kind of that relief valve as a guy who can knock that shot down. Eric, that's Eric Gordon's job is to make that shot. Jalen Green, it's not necessarily his number one job, but that's something that he's supposed to be able to do at a high level. And it's not happening. So until they make shots, they are going to be a bad offense. That's just how it's going to be. You can't, you can't, you don't want to play inside out in this sport right now with the way that the game is trending. You can do that for possessions. You can do that for certain stretches of games, but you don't want that to have to be your base offense. It's just not an efficient way to run an offense possession after possession. And so like their whole offense is predicated on drive and kick. Well, they can get the drive right, they can get the kick right, but they aren't finishing by making the shot. Until that happens, you have no chance to be good offense. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So what do you make, Adam, of at least it seemed like the post game after the Minnesota loss, it seemed like it was a theme of them focusing on how the lack of ball movement and, and sort of the, the stagnation on offense caused them to sort of get into sort of a rut and we were, we're just sitting here making the point of even when they get the drive, even when they get the kick, even when they are moving the ball, they're just not making wide open shots. How much does that, how much does not making wide open shots do you think sort of uh, contribute to the lack of focus or, or the, the tendency to fall into bad habits of not moving the ball around and trying to play some hero ball or, or maybe just, like I said, a lack of focus and not really sort of trusting what you're doing, even when it's not working. So I think there are two different questions. I think that Sunday you look at kind of the lack of ball movement. And I think that was more so what Minnesota was doing defensively, where they were just packing the paint and daring them to, 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 to beat you from three. And you have Rudy Gobert out there who is probably the best rim protector in the entire league. So kind of limits a lot of the things he can do. And the fact that everyone else basically has a foot in the paint, you know, your, your options become limited. You have to be able to shoot them out of it. If you shoot them out of it, now you have some more options and you can maybe do a little bit more offensively. But I do think that there, there is certainly a lot of frustration that comes in. And I think that that's where it impacts some of your decision-making. I think that you can get frustrated and lose your focus when you keep missing shots, especially when it's happening night after night, after night, after night, and you keep losing game after game, after game, after game. I mean, you, you are the hard thing with these guys is that they've almost for almost all these guys, they've been the best player on the floor their entire life. You know, Jabari Smith, When he was at Auburn, when he's in high school, when he's in AAU ball, he's the best player on the floor. When Jalen Green was on the floor his entire life, he was the best player on the floor. You have to get used to not being the best player on the floor, and you have to get used to not to 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 failing. And you have to be able to handle the failure. That's how you improve in this league. That's how you improve really in sports. And I'm I'm gonna give you one story just from when I was in baseball, when I was working in baseball. We had an outfielder one year who had repeated rookie ball three straight years. And it was bad the first two years. And he finally, the third year, he breaks through. He has a great year. And he's an all-star in our league. And I'm talking to our hitting coach when the season ends. And it's like, hey, man, he, he, he was great. And the, our hitting coach says to me, yeah, but it was too easy. 
I needed to see him struggle just to see how he worked out of the struggles. And so now what you're dealing with with these guys is that this is the first time that they've really struggled in their basketball careers. So how do they come out of it? How do they work their way out of it? With vets, you get into a slump, you work your way out of it. Now you have that, you know, you have that memory of, hey, I was in this slump once. I was able to get out of it. With a lot of these guys, this is really the first slump that they're experiencing. This is the first sort of failure that that they're experiencing. And they have to figure out how to get out of that and move on to the next step and be able to where, hey, it's not a big deal anymore. Not to throw a curveball here, but now since we're mentioning it and we're talking about how they handle failure, I, I kind of want to stick with this a little bit because in some earlier episodes we talked about one of the one of the more concerning things, less less so than shooting inconsistencies or some of the stuff that we might see on the court. It would be, or, or like basketball wise necessarily, it would be sometimes the body language. How, how, what, what's your beat on right now? And I'm talking specifically about Jalen Green, their best player, their star player. But so midway through the season, and we're going to talk later on about, you know, in a, in a further episode, later episode about sort of where we are midseason at this point with the Rockets. But just in terms specifically on the point about how they're handling failure, like what 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 is your beat on that? And and, and like this episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You know, and, and this can actually lead into our next point, because Austin Rivers I think was the one who had the quotes with uh with Cron.com, Michael Shapiro, who we know uh, has some quotes with uh with with former Rockets guard Austin Rivers saying that the guards need to the current guards being Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. for the Rockets need a more of a veteran presence and guys that basically can kind of help them show help show them how to play the game in the right way. I'm paraphrasing, but that's more or less what he was saying in his comments. Where do you think? Like, where is that supposed to come from right now? Because I think, and I want to get your thoughts on what Austin had to say, but just real quick, what I'm thinking is just like they're at a point right now where it feels like, like we understand that Steven Silas feels like he's on borrowed time. He doesn't have a contract for next year. And, it, you know, things have not, obviously have not been great the last couple of years, the last few years here. But but where are they right now in terms of how they get through the failures who are they leaning on for leadership i know we'll talk about jason Tate coming back but like who are they actually leaning on for that type of leadership who can who can like rockets fans look at and point to and rely on and saying hey that's who the young guys are supposed to be learning from right now like aside from the aside from 60 something year old john lucas and, and and lionel hollins who who can you know strike the fear of god in you like i'm talking about like actual sort of uh, maybe more constructive and, and peer-like mentorship. I mean, I, I guess it's supposed to be Eric Gordon just because he's the old guy of the group, but that's not really anything that he's done before. Like, does he want to babysit all these kids? My guess is probably not. I think they like Eric Gordon because of the example that he sets with how he conducts himself and how he conducts his business and just the professionalism that he plays with. But is it Eric Gordon's job to hold these guys' hands and teach them how to play and teach them how to do this and teach them how to do that and teach them how to how to get out of a slump. I, 
to me, that's something that you, that as a player, you kind of have to learn on your own. And I do think that this is, or, or you have to have somebody that's, I guess, more invested in the organization, because I think right now you can kind of tell Eric Gordon's not quite as invested in the organization as maybe you would want someone to, to, who you would want to hold these guys hands. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough job. And, and I do think that the losing is getting to them just to kind of your first point. And Jalen green even said that it's, it's having a toll. Like it's taking its toll. Like last year, the losing didn't really take a toll on him this year. It is. And you can tell across the board that these guys are kind of tired of losing, but there's not a whole lot they can do because they're playing, they're 19, 20, 21 years old and they're playing against grown men. It's really, doesn't matter how talented you are. If you are at an experience does matter and knowing how to play does matter. And right now, they lack that. So I don't know for me if it's like the mentor that they're missing. It's just a guy who can tell them how to play. And I think Ali Khan Bajani brought this up back when they played the Knicks because Shingun didn't play that that game and they had some guys in foul trouble and they needed Boban. They needed Boban out there. And Boban's out there directing guys on the floor. And that's they didn't have any of that because they really don't have very many guys who actually know how to play and know what to do and have seen stuff in this league before. So to me, that's really what they're missing. And Austin Rivers was right. Like Austin Rivers is 100% right. And I do think that that is that that's been one of the I understand why they kind of went as young as they did and why they uh, they, they basically cast John Wall aside. But. That's something that he would have been pretty valuable at is just like, hey, this is how you run an offense because simply they don't really have anybody on the team that knows how to run an offense. And if you can't as a coach, you can't just stop the game and say, hey, do this, do that, do that. You can't stop anything in the middle of play or you can, but you can only do it uh, seven times a game, six, seven times a game, whatever it is. So that's why somebody like Wall who can do this stuff on the floor or just any other point guard, you saw Dennis Schroeder do that with them a little bit and uh, it helped like having shooter on the floor helped them last year. Um, having an adult on the floor actually helps. So I, I do think that that's kind of when you look at how they've built this roster and making it as young as they did, I do think that that has made this a little tougher than maybe it needed to be. Yeah. I, Adam, I never, and I've said this maybe no less than a dozen times in different places, but I never, ever agreed with the idea of and, and I, yeah, of course it was not up to me <laughs> but i personally just did not i agree with the idea of sitting john wall last year and going all in on kevin porter jr as the point guard of the future i thought john wall should have been their point guard should have been their veteran leader and you know maybe you don't like the idea of kevin porter jr taking shots away from jalen green Maybe that makes Kevin Porter Jr. better suited to be a six man. And and certainly he's proven himself. I think I think he's played well enough up to this point to have proven that he deserves to play the minutes that he plays. Maybe he shouldn't have the ball as much as he has it exactly. But for me, man, if I if I could go back and if I had anything to do with it, which again, obviously I do not, <laughs> but if I did, I would have not done the whole we're going to sit John Wall thing. And I know that was an agreement uh, between the two of them, you know, between the two sides once they decided they were going all in on Kevin Porter Jr. as the point guard of the future or whatever. But I just would not have done that. John Wall was a point guard. John Wall was at, you know, at the very least some sort of veteran leadership that I thought would, would have provided some value to them. 
And and Kevin Porter Jr. would have gotten plenty of minutes and plenty of touches and plenty of opportunities to continue to develop as a basketball player. Of course, all of that is water under the bridge now, but that's just sort of how I feel about it. You know, you mentioned John Wall, it made me think about it, man. Like I, I, I thought that they misplayed sort of the development of these guys from the very beginning, uh, going back to last year when they made that decision. That's just me. But look, Jalen Green is about to go, not really home exactly, but close to home. He's from Fresno. Uh, we're recording this ahead of the Rockets sort of four game road trip in uh, in California Two two games in Sacramento, two straight in Sacramento, and then they're going to play two straight in L.A., one against the Lakers and one against the Clippers. Uh, I might have those flip flopped. It might be the Clippers for the Lakers or yeah. no, but but either way. Um, and, and I'm mentioning that just to say because we're talking about the shooting and we're talking about the development. And we mentioned Jalen Green. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm worried about Jalen Green, man. I'm a little bit worried, a little bit concerned, and it could be just because I'm prisoner of the moment. I, I'm willing to admit that. It could just be a, hey, you're watching it right now. You're seeing what it looks like. I think this was his, was this past game his first without scoring and double digits in I don't know how long. It's been a long time, and I know the game before that, scored a bunch of points, but took a bunch of shots and wasn't wildly efficient, has been, has just shot shot the ball. We talked about it in previous episodes. This has not shot the ball well lately. And we talked about confidence. We talked about mechanics and all different things that could be a part of it. But just, I, I mean, I just want to ask you again, like at this point, like what should be, what, what would you say should be the level of concern with Jalen Green's play right now? So it, Sunday was the first time all season he hasn't scored in double figures. He right. finished with nine. It was just the second time all year he did not take a free throw. Yeah, so, yeah. And that was the thing. That was the thing that was that was progress in the game, yeah. right? Was was that even when the shots weren't falling and even when he wasn't wildly efficient, at least it seemed like he had figured something out about his game to where he could get to the foul line and, and be efficient that way, get some shots up that way. Yeah, that was masking some of the shooting issues was that he was getting to the line. And so – uh, his previous five game, let's see, 14, trying to add in my head, 26, 30. Uh, he had taken 41 free throws over his previous, you know, five games before. And so, again, that's masking some of the shooting issues when you don't go to the – and part of that and, – and Silas said that he thought he was being aggressive, but, again, it's Gobert, and Gobert changes a lot of what you can do. Uh, and they were pretty aggressive with him. But I, I do think the shooting stuff is a concern. As I said, it does seem like the losing is taking a toll. And it was only a matter of time before that happens. And, you know, he Green said the he had the quote after the second game of the year when they lost to Memphis to go to 0-2. He said, um, and I think I have the quote right, but he says, we're in a rebuild or we're rebuilding, we're in a rebuild, whatever he said. Um, there are no losses with this team. There's wins or there's uh, learning lessons. And at some point, you get tired of the, of the learning lessons. You get tired of the lessons and you want to actually win some games and you get tired of – you know, walking back to the locker room after a game and he just got beat by double digits again. And so it takes a toll. And I don't care how young you are. I don't care what the expectations are. 
when you lose game after game after game after game, it's going to get tough. And that's the environment that this team has been put in right now, just because of how they have decided to go about with the rebuild. And, you know, they have taken, they have basically gone as young as you can possibly go. And you look, Jalen Green was drafted as a 19-year-old. Alfred Shingun was drafted as a 19-year-old. Usman Garuba drafted as a 19-year-old. Uh, Josh Christopher was drafted as a 19-year-old. You look at this past draft. Jabari Smith, 19. Tari Eason, was, he's the old guy. He was 20. Ty Ty Washington was 19. It's really, You have no chance of being successful that way unless you have other vets on the roster. And maybe they thought Gordon would be that, but Gordon hasn't played very well, and he's just been grumpy seemingly, seemingly the entire year. And – you know, you wonder a decision here, a decision there, how, you know, like if they, and I don't want to get in, you know, on a, you know, whole thing about the draft and, you know, mistake here, but like, what, what if you draft Andrew Nemhard uh, at 29 and, instead of Ty Ty Washington? And I'm not saying that Andrew Nemhard will ultimately be a better player than Ty Ty Washington, but having a guy who played a lot in college, and I think he played four years and he played at good programs, Nemhard did. How would that change things right now as opposed to a 19-year-old who you are trying to, you know, who's not necessarily the most natural point guard in the world. He's more of, of a combo guy and was at Kentucky. So you're kind of – it's it's really tough. And I do think that they were hoping that Jay Sean Tate would be that guy, and he got hurt. And one injury can kind of derail you like that when you are as young as they are. And Jay Sean Tate, while he's, you know, older, he's been in the league for two years. So again, you have, there's just very little experience on the roster. There's very little know-how on the roster. And I just don't know what people were expecting to see with this. This is basically what you thought you would get, or is what I thought is basically what I assumed would happen this year. And I I do think that you hope that Jalen Green would be better. And I do think that it's a bit of a lesson that, Hey, don't make too much out of the last month of the season. Don't just because it's, the last month of the season is a whole lot different type of intensity than what you get when the season actually starts. So, you know, development isn't necessarily necessarily linear. You're seeing it with some of the other rookies from that class. Scotty Barnes has had a bad year in Toronto. He was the rookie of the year last year. You thought this is a superstar who's going to lead a team for a long time. That hasn't happened. Kate Cunningham's been hurt all year. Evan Mobley, you know, he doesn't really have to do a whole lot in Cleveland just because of how that roster is set up. So this is what, this is what happens with young players. You're going to have great moments. You're going to have really bad moments. It's just, can you keep everyone moving in the same direction and keep them in an environment where they're going to get better? Yeah. If if there's anything that I, that I wasn't expecting or, or was expecting more of like, as far as the result and what the team ultimately has been, I guess, I guess you would say this is exactly what anybody who's followed the team should have been expecting. I think there was a hope where there's just, there is this hope that the in order for the Rockets to get to where they're trying to go, you know, it, it's all about, I mean, going to Jalen Green's actual quote, the one that you mentioned, you know, there are no losses, there's just lessons. Well, knowing that, knowing that the, that there's going to be mostly losses, like, like in terms of the, the result of the game, you were hoping that the lesson would be, Oh, this rookie or this second year player figured out this thing and, and made progress here. And, and again, we talked about Jalen green getting to the foul line a lot better. Um, the, the most previous game, notwithstanding. Uh, and, and that is, that does, you know, show progress in his game and, and how he's diagnosing defenses and, and exactly what he should do, but, or exactly how he should attack, which is a, you know, a major issue. I thought when he first, first got, uh, got started as a rookie you know I think he's shown tremendous progress there but yeah man there's there's just that I think that longing for so much more wanting to see so much more especially when um when you're watching them night in night out but 
you mentioned Jay Sean Tate. But let, let me let me just add go, one more. Thing. Go go ahead, absolutely. It, it's a lot easier to say there are no losses; there are only wins in, in learning lessons when you're zero and two. Yeah, it's a whole lot tougher to say that when you're ten and thirty. Yeah, and we talk about Jalen Green's effort, and it hasn't always been there this year. And a lot of that is just you're losing night after night after night, it gets to you. And at some point, you're just not going to have the same sort of energy and the same sort of passion. And I think that's what you're seeing from him right now is that there just isn't that passion for the game because they're losing every single every single night. And it's hard to it's hard to get up for games when that keeps happening. Yeah, 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 no, 100%, man. And, and you feel like, man, it's just, they're just halfway through it. And, you know, uh, one of the things that I kept saying early on when we first started this podcast was that we wouldn't be covering a lot of winning. We wouldn't be talking about a lot of games that the Rockets won. And then sure enough, they, they started playing really well right around the time we started the podcast. It was kind of weird. Cause it's like, Oh, actually here we are talking about another win. They beat the Suns, they beat the Sixers, they beat the bucks and you know, all of this. And, uh, and then sure enough, everything sort of comes back to, reality you know and everyone's feet hits the ground and you're like okay yeah no this is this is exactly what like you said this is exactly what we expected it to be and so i i I worry i would say to go along with my concern about the shooting and the body language and the effort i mean if the losing is wearing on them and, and is is as big of an issue as it feels like and seems like it is man i'm worried about the rest of the season because there's gonna be a lot more losing you know, well, it's not, it's not like it's not like there's that switch that they're going to be able to hit to where they're going to start winning a bunch of games, or like there's this move that they're going to make all of a sudden to where that's going to be any different. So, this is their lot their lot in life until further notice. Well, they're they they they're ten and thirty. They've lost seven in a row in twelve of thirteen. And, and look at the schedule. These four games in California, two yeah. against the Kings, the Lake, the the Clippers, and the Lakers. I mean, those are probably four losses depending on who plays for the LA teams. So, I mean, you're staring at 10 and 34 with an 11 game losing skid and what losers of 16 of 17. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of what they are right now. And, you know, maybe guys take a step, maybe there, you know, maybe something else happens, you know, out, you know, some outside force happens, but I mean, this is just what it is at this point. And um, they were, they won 20 games last year. They were on a whatever pace, you know, if they would have played the full 82 the year before. I mean, this is this is what you signed up for. I mean, this is what they signed up for. I, there's a reason why they weren't talking about, you know, winning a bunch of games and competing for the play in this year. They knew what this was going to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's good to see Jay Sean Tate back. Great story. I think a great NBA story in terms of like a guy who had to, you know, fight his way to get through to kind of get this opportunity. Um, we've talked about that before. We as, When he was hurt, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the impact of having him not be there. He's been back the last couple of games. What is and could be the potential impact of having Jay Sean Tate return to the lineup? I know, for one thing, just sort of from a procedural standpoint, it, you know, jacks a little bit with the rotations. One of the 
noteworthy things is that you know it it, it could impact the three center rotation that seemed to drive Rockets Twitter nuts. Um, it, it could it could impact which guys on the wing are getting minutes uh, in terms of uh, you know it looks like probably their their guard rotation is going to basically be what Porter Green and what Tate and who else and Gordon you yeah. know for the most part and, and so so well, yeah so what what do, what do you think about the the impact of Jay Sean Tate being back well he's you know essentially an adult who knows what to do and so Stephen you can tell how happy Stephen Silas is to have him back just because that's somebody that he trusts and who knows you know what to do when they need it he's been with the team for such a long time and you know really they are using him in a different way now than they were before. Well, he was starting for them at the four, sometimes at the three. And now most of his minutes are going to come. It looks like from the backcourt where the 96 guard minutes are going to be split up between Jalen green, Kevin Porter, jr. Eric Gordon and Jay Sean Tate. And so that basically is why Ty Ty Washington is in the G league right now is because there are no minutes for him. And it, it shows you just how much, just how that last guard spot has been such a negative for them this season and, and it's not – they have a couple talented guys, but they're just not ready to play at, at this stage just yet, and that's going to be Tate's job. And they can drop him down, and he can defend anyone, and he can play any position. But it's kind of a credit to uh, what K.J. Martin has done and, and what Tari Eason has done where they don't really need Tate for a wing. They don't need him to play the four anymore, but they need him to be a guard because that's one of the positions that they're really lacking. And while he didn't do that a lot when he first got to the NBA with them, play guard in college, uh, he was essentially their backup point guard the end of his first season in the NBA when everybody was hurt for them. So you're seeing him take on that role. And you know, I don't know what the numbers are right now. The sample size is still pretty low, but he makes a difference when he's out there. That is Adam Spillane. I am Brandon Scott. Austin Mendez is producing this podcast for us this is the h-town hoops podcast and that is it for this episode but on the next one we're gonna do our first half of the season awards ballots we're gonna get into the best rookie most improved player best defender the most disappointing player who's the most fun player what's our favorite moment from the season what would what would we classify as the best moment halfway through and of course, the most valuable player. So that is coming up next on the H Town Hoops podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us. Make sure that you are subscribing, rating, reviewing, and telling people about the podcast. If you've made it all the way through this far, that means something caught your attention. So make sure you're sharing that with the people. And until next time, y'all be good. 